0: You're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored, the best damn Tennessee Titans podcast out there. I'm your host, Ryan Moreland. With me this week, a Two-Tone Uncensored Hall of Famer, Tyler Musson. How are you doing, Tyler?
1: I'm doing pretty good uh, following that Sunday win. You know, I, I live here in Ohio, and, you know, it's nothing but Steeler and Bengal and Brown stands around here. And, you know, everybody was ready to bust my balls, seeing that the Bengals had taken the lead. And I actually had a guy message me, and he's like, oh, yep, Titans about to lose. And then the moment Titans took the win, I was like, you were saying so. Titans actually saved me a lot of embarrassment this week.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm also, uh, I live in mostly Browns country, but there is a healthy amount of of Cincinnati fans here, including one of my good friends, so it was nice to get that win over them. Um, A few things, though, let's cover right before we jump into the show and get into that recap. Uh, First, I want to apologize for no show last week. That was on me. We did record a show, but I didn't have time to edit it. Life just got crazy last week, but obviously we're going to have a show this week. It's going to be a decently long show from all the information that we have to cover. Glad to have Tyler back on for this. Another thing, uh, since we didn't have a show last week, really didn't get to talk about it. So like, happy belated Veterans Day to all the vets out there. I know we have guys that are currently overseas that listen to the show, so hats off to you guys. You definitely deserve it. Keep doing what you do. Keep working hard to protect this country and and come home safe. And all the other currently serving military and veterans out there, because I know we have a lot of listeners that are vets and currently serving military. Um, thanks for everything that you guys do to keep this country safe.
1: Yeah, and and it's like when you look at some of the, you know these stats, like if you've ever seen it on the internet, just how many military men and women we have, it's crazy how many active and then how many reserves we have, you know, they talk about like million man armies and everything. Well, it's, we have well over a million people in this. So, you know, there's millions and millions of families that are, you know, being affected and, you know, they're risking their lives. You know, my dad was in desert storm. I've had all kinds of friends that went to Iraq and, you know, and they sacrificed their lives for our freedom. And, you know, that that's, if you're wanting to talk about you know being good to your neighbor that's the best way you can be good to your neighbor is you know lay down and put away your life for a time to go away and fight for for your country so just hats off to them
0: absolutely you know being a veteran myself I know what it means to to get that recognition and it does it means a lot more than I think a lot of people know you know to know that you're appreciated and that you have a lot of people back home supporting you, so you definitely, everybody that's out there, especially those guys that are currently over there, we're back here supporting you, so get home safe. The next thing that we're going to move on to, I think everybody has probably seen this or a lot of people, but we just wanted to give a heads up, uh, A Football Life, the the series that NFL Network puts on is going to premiere their Eddie George episode this Friday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern on NFL Network. Definitely something I'm going to be tuning into. Eddie George is probably my favorite player of all time. Uh, you know, always loved watching him when I was a kid. So it looks like it's going to be really good. You know, I, I know that they had Ray Lewis on there. Me and Tyler were talking about it before the show, man. Those were some awesome matchups between him and Ray. So, you know, definitely check it out. If you're a Titans fan, I think it's a must watch.
1: Well, a lot of people forget about it. Georgia. If you think exotic smashmouth like Marco and Derek here lately has been predictable running, when Eddie was in, he was extremely predictable in terms of teams like they know he's getting the ball and he'd still gash them four, five, six yards a clip, and then boom, you know, bang out a 30, 40-yard run. And one of the most memorable ones I can remember is his run versus Indy. Uh, in a playoff game, which, you know, basically sealed the deal for us. And, you know, that, that they're going to show all that. You know, they're going to show how he was stacked on and still broke it. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to see that nowadays. But, you know, the game's evolved so much. It just shows you, you know, how the game was different back then and how he took advantage of
0: it. Yeah, he was definitely a guy that, that used that power. We were talking about it before. And I think every Titans fan Knows this highlight as soon as I mention it, but it's still my favorite. Even though it was only like a two-yard gain, he runs to the left side and Ray Lewis meets him there. And Eddie George stiff-arms him up into the air and then slams him into the ground with a stiff arm. And you know, Like I said, it was only like a two- or three-yard gain, but he i mean—he let Ray Lewis know where he was at and, and how hard it was going to be to take him down. It was an awesome play. But definitely yeah. looking forward to watching that, man. It's, I think it's going to be really good.
1: Yeah, and that and that was prime Ray Lewis. That like like we were talking earlier. That that wasn't you know 2011, 2010 Ray Lewis. No, that was you know cream of the crop Ray Lewis.
0: Right, that was all pro Ray Lewis that got thrown and body slammed into the ground by a stiff arm. Yeah. Uh yep. b- But let's move on to the Cincy game here. Um, we end up getting the win, 24-20. We did get pretty close. So normally what we do. Is things that we don't like and things that we did like. But we're going to throw in another another segment in here with this because it's it happens so often in this game. It's missed opportunities. So let's talk about the first one here. We're driving down the field. They throw like this little swing pass play in there. Marcus, you can tell he looks for the swing pass. It's not there. Looks downfield. Fires to Matthews, who just doesn't seem like he was ready for it. Matthews drops what would have been a sure touchdown that same play, Murray has a dumb penalty that puts us back. That series ends with a missed field goal by Suckup, which ended the streak at 56 uh, consecutive field goals inside of 50 yards. So this cost us seven points, all things considered.
1: The pass overall, it, you know, people were called, oh, Matthew sucks. And I remember a certain certain guy on on one of the boards that, that said, oh, Matthews needs cut, he's garbage, you realize he almost never drops. It's just, like you said, I, I, I think he wasn't expecting it. You know, obviously it looked like a design, you know, motion swing. Marcus put it right in his hand and it was, it was like, uh, one of the Corey Davis catches. You know, Marcus zinged it in there so quick, you know, that it shocked the receiver. You know Corey Davis's one later in the game. Marcus put it on right on them five seconds before Corey even turned around, it seemed like. And I think that's happened here with Matthews. You know he was totally expecting a block downfield or of some sort, and then he just happened to turn his head and the ball was in his hand. So you know that comes with extreme accuracy from your quarterback, but you know you also got to be heads up. You know because. Not always everything's going to go to script. You know, that swing could be completely blown out, and you've got to be ready to, you know, direct to the you know, next available option. It just comes to overall awareness and knowing where you are on the field.
0: Absolutely. You're 100% right. You have to be ready for the ball at all times. That's one of those plays where, you know, even in practice – Matthews sees that ball on that play maybe one out of every 100 times, but you have to be ready for that one out of every 100 times, and I think the work ethic that we've seen from Rashad Matthews, don't expect to see this again. Like Matthews is the kind of guy that it's going to fix this. Don't expect to see Matthews you know, and I don't think he was taking a play off. I think exactly what you said. He was looking for a block, but Don't expect him not to be ready for that ball again uh, because, you know, he's shown that he's going to be a guy that comes in and improves regularly. But the next one, which was, I think, for me, the the hardest one to watch, Corey Davis gets the ball streaking towards the end zone and then fumbles it right before the end zone. DeMarco Murray catches it out of bounds right outside of the end zone for a touchback. The one thing that really made me upset about this is go back and watch this play. Look at the way that uh, Corey Davis is holding this ball. It's about a mile away from his body. That's the first thing you notice. It's a mile away from his body. But also look at his hand placement on the football. He's not. He doesn't have his hand over the point of the football. He has his hand about halfway down the football. He's just palming it. So even yeah. if it's away from your body, if you have it tucked over the tip like you should, you can still probably hold on to that ball. But when you're holding it like that, just palming it, halfway down the football, I mean, that is so easy. There's no NFL player that's going to hold onto the football like that when a defender slaps that out of your hand. If he just tucks in the football like he should, we're down at the one-yard line, you know, 99% chance we're punching that in. Murray or Henry, you know, there's no way that that's a mistake. Uh, that's no way that that's going to be a touchback. Which, So if you're keeping score here at home, that's 14 points that we have should have added onto our total, which gives us an 18-point victory.
1: And if you watch the Corey Davis run, you know, it, it's a great, you know, he shows that burst that, you know, everybody was unsure about coming out of the draft, you know, being injured, uh, that apparently John Robinson saw and we didn't get to see much. And, you know, he, he shows the awareness and, uh, you know, the hand there when, when he needs to catch the most. And then also the net, he's finding the end zone. But, yeah, like you said, it's, it's the whole how he approached the end zone with the ball. Most times when you see guys dive for the pylon or dive for the corner of the end zone, unless it's Marcus, because, you know, Marcus has that thing where he runs and he tucks it and then he stretches it with his right or left hand. But he also stretches just a tad short. You know, so that way if he gets popped, it doesn't, you know, flop and go into the end zone and out of the corner. But guys that dive for the pylon or for the goal line in general, they've got both hands on the ball. or they And if they're going to stretch, they've got both hands on the ball.
0: Right, and even if you're going to stretch out with one hand, you have to have your hand over the tip of that football. And he had more than enough time when you watch that run, to put another hand on it or, you know, to resituate the ball before he ran in there. And I know he's a rookie, and this is, you can be like, yeah, but this is something that's taught in Pee Wee football, how to hold the football when you run with and that's true. But he was thinking about scoring. He wasn't thinking about anything else. That muscle memory has to be there, and, and it's something I'm sure that he, they're going to hound him. You know, when they go through uh, the tape and when they go through practice this week, they're going to hound him on, you know, this is how you carry the football when you run with it. No more of this palm in the the back side of the foot. You need to be running with it up uh, and against your body and with your hand over the point of the football. But uh, the other thing, too, is we get the fumble recovery uh, in the red zone. Derek Morgan, another heads-up play by him. He had two fumble recoveries in this game. He gets the ball. So we start very first play, we throw an interception. Which was I just don't I went back and watched it a few times, and I guess just Marcus just didn't see him. You know, it seemed like Marcus was going for the timing rather than reading, and just didn't see him there and just fired the football. If we don't make that mistake though, you know, since he doesn't get that touchdown right after that because you know since he wasn't having success driving the football against us at all in this game, we gave up short field and they got a score there. So if they don't get that interception there, You know, that drops their score to, you know, what is it? I think they missed the extra point on that one, if I'm not mistaken. So it still drops there by six. So you're talking about 13, you know, to 24. Or if we converted on the other ones, 13 to, you know, what, 40-something. It would have been a blowout if we would have just handled these missed opportunities.
1: This game, it it should have been over a long time ago in terms of, yes, the end of the fourth quarter. I remember my original prediction was 35-14, and, you know, I said it score would not tell the story of the game. Well, half of that's right. The score didn't tell the story of the game. We absolutely dominated the, the Bengals on defense. You know, they couldn't, they had one, okay, they had a miscommunication by us. And then they had a just a, a star receiver being a star receiver. Okay, that. But overall, they should really only have had seven points. Seven points was the gimme that we gave them. Everything else was just a product of a fault on our part. We had so many drives that were negated by penalties. You know, by offensive line, whoever. They they were personal foul penalties most of the time it could have very well been a 42-7 to game. It could have been 35-7. to This should have been an almost a rout.
0: Right, and that's going to take us right into things that we didn't like. And that was my first one was the big passing plays. Um, the one that you have to LaFell, you know, you had a two of high safeties and Bayard pinched down to, I believe it was Green that was down there, rather than playing over the top. They get that throw to LaFell behind Bayard. Really, I mean, you. Kevin Byard's been playing outstanding. It was really the one mistake, I think. I mean, you can argue two mistakes, and we'll cover that in a second. But that he made in this game. Besides that, he played a pretty outstanding game. The other big passing play was the slant to A.J. Green. I don't think Logan Ryan played this ball very badly. If you look, he's botting him up the entire time. He's trying to take away the inside by getting underneath and undercutting him. But the ball was thrown well. A.J. Green is, you know, like... Tyler just told you. It's a star player being a star player. He just out-muscled him. Then Byard does whiff at a tackle that he really wasn't close at. Now, Bayard should have stayed on his feet and ran him down, but by the time Byard got to him, that was still going to be you 15-20 know, yards past where he caught the football before Byard could get to the point where he could use that angle to get him. He shouldn't have just whiffed at the tackle. He should have stayed on his feet there, but I mean, it still would have been a big play, and that's assuming that, you know, A.J. Green doesn't, you know, stiff on him or, you know, because is a good tackler, but A.J. Green's good at making people miss, and he's, he's a powerful guy. I think people forget how big and physical A.J. Green can be. So, you know, that was another one. But you, those big passing plays, we got to limit those. We're going to play quarterback that's struggling, you know, this week, but he's still a good quarterback and, you know, arguably the best wide receiver in football. Uh, you know, a guy that is better than A.J. Green, there's few that can say that, but, you know, Antonio Brown's one of them. So we need to be able to limit uh, the big plays in the passing game because those, you know, ultimately lead to 13 points against us w- with the two big plays.
1: The LaFell touchdown, I've seen it before it even happened, you know, and I they were lined up, and I saw the spot receiver. I'm like, there's nobody on him. There's nobody on him, and I was looking – to the the far right corner of the broadcast screen, and I saw Bayard way over to where uh, A.J. was. I'm like, oh, my God, we had no safety back there. I'm like, are they going to call a timeout? Are they going to call a timeout? You know, it's one of those moments, like, are we going to snap it, or are we going to call a timeout? And I knew before they even snapped the ball that it was, you know, even if there was a design route, like, let's look for that LaFell, let's do that slant or whatever. Even if there was a design route, that's one of those instances where you see the hole in the defense and you just fly down the street. And that's exactly what it was. And I saw it before the ball was even snapped. And like I said, I was like, we need to call a timeout. We need to call a timeout. And there's nobody on him. Sure enough, I don't even remember how many yards it was, but it was it was a pretty pretty long touchdown and pretty significant.
0: No, right, I agree with you. Um, And you looked at that. I tried to find an angle on that LaFell play where you could see Andy Dalton, but I couldn't find one because I'm, it, it appeared to me, because right before the pass is thrown, Bayard pinches down. And, you know, the golden rule as a, as a safety is don't let anybody get behind you. But I think that Andy Dalton looked him off. I think Andy Dalton... And then that's why he pinched him down. Andy Dalton looked like he was going that way. Kevin Byard, being the opportunistic guy that he is, was looking to get an interception. And that's why he ran down to try to make that play. He pinches down. Andy Dalton throws over the top. And Andy Dalton, like you can say what you want, but the guy's a decent quarterback. He's a smart guy. He's going to be able to make plays like that. And then the other one you bring up, if... Logan Ryan stays on his feet. You at least slow him down enough that Bayard can come in and help the tackle. Because Byard was right over top. But, I mean, they both could have been played better. We need to be able to limit those kind of plays. You know, like we said, with uh, Pittsburgh coming up, and then later this year we have to take on uh, the Rams, who have been one of the best passing teams in football. Uh, you know, lately, so definitely something we're gonna have to limit. Another thing uh, I didn't like was Brian Schwinke's pass blocking. We talked about this a lot before we came on. Tyler, Schwinky's a guy that will run block extraordinarily. He had a lot of good blocks in the running game. I talked about that one play where they just ran um, Adoree Jackson right in front of Marcus with a handoff and then out to the left side. On you know, that play, Schwinky pulls and makes a great block that sealed the hole. You know, it's a four or five yard gain without that block. It ended up being a 19 yard gain because of that block. Uh, it was a great play. But in the passing game, Schwinky's footwork is so clunky. He can't get back when guys cross him. That led to the first sack of the football game. There's a big difference, and we're seeing it, a big difference between Brian Schwenke playing and uh, Quentin Spain playing. Spain has 522 pass blocks without giving up a sack. I'll say that one more time 522 pass block attempts without giving up a sack he's playing at an all-pro level this year i mean he's a fantastic obviously he's missed the last two weeks i actually um before the show uh was talking to jim wyatt and, and i asked him about quentin spain and he said there's no new news yet he's still week to week he's still waiting on updates for that so we don't know if he's gonna be back for this thursday game but you know i hope he does because Brian Schwenke in the passing game has shown that he is the one liability on a really good offensive line.
1: And like you said, we're something completely different on the offensive line with Schwenke replacing Spain, an obvious guy who to keep his performance. He can make a lot of money. You know, overall, I'd put, you know, you you can't single it out. I'd put it on the entire O-line, you know, because... You know, when one, when one train kind of falters, you know, the other one's supposed to pick the slack. But several drives we had killing sacks. And, you know, one drive I think had back to back sacks. when you have to go back to the Zach Mettenberger days to find that. You know, that just doesn't happen with, with Mariota and that quarterback. You know, you could see also in the third quarter, Mariota was unsure of you know, his left side of the line. He was unsure, he's afraid to stand at times, you know, and I think the majority of those pieces, and like you said, it comes down to just the one piece in Shrinky, ever since he's assumed that role, the o line looks like it's missing a bracket. Um I think problem when stain comes back, but you know, nonetheless it, it's a common discussion the last two days on either how we get depth or an entirely new starting guard, which is definitely not the answer. because Spain's fine.
0: There's, a, I mean, there's a big gap between Schwenke and Spain. I think they're comparable in run blocking. schwinky might even be better in run blocking, but pass blocking, there's a big, big difference, and it, it showed in this game. am hoping that we get Quentin Spain back. Obviously, I mean, he's having, he's yeah. arguably right now the best offensive lineman on our team the way he's been playing this year he's having an all pro like season i mean it's unreal my last thing tyler for things i really didn't like in this game is the pronunciation of some of the names on this team so anybody who is
1: you know calling (laughs) games
0: or talking about games i'm just going to throw out these two guys for you it is john new smith say it just like john and the word new John New Smith. That's how you say it. It's not Janu. The other one, and this should be obvious because Kevin Byard's having like an All-Pro level season. He's having like a, a fantastic year. It's not yeah, By Yard. It's Byard. <laughs> There's not two yeah. Y's. It's it's not a compound <laughs> word. It's Byard, not By Yard. And then this game, I heard Byard By Yard probably three or four times. I heard Janu twice. And it was like yeah and
1: old, I guys. heard I heard Bayer uh one one of the uh analysts he said it right he said he said his name right, but the guy w- the other guy was saying it so often he made it like stick in the other analyst's head, and then he started saying it like that
0: yeah, I don't know who everybody had on there is so on my end, I watched with Mark Schlereth, um which is neat because of the connection with Russ Grimm, since they were both. You know, played on those legendary Redskins offensive lines. But um, he was, at first, uh, he did say Bayard right. And then yeah. he started saying Bayard. And he was also the one that said Janu. <laughs> Just It's not that hard, guys. It's Janu, which I don't even know how you get to Janu because it's spelled like it looks I like mean, it's so. pronounced Janu.
1: I really can't see how you could screw up Bayard because there's no two Y's. By yard means that there's literally, you're a symbol away from a hash. A hash name. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's a symbol from a two-word name, and it's, it's not true because there's not two Y's. You sound it the way it's spelled, and it's Byard. <laughs> It's Byard. Like it's, I mean, that's basic grammar, and that's basic English. So.
0: These guys did it well, but I also noticed during the halftime um, I'm trying to think. I think it was Michael Strahan. Uh, throughout the Mariota. Also, another one, Mariota. <laughs> Mario, like the guy, the little plumber, uh, on the video games. Yeah. Mariota, Mariota, not Mariota. Is another one that yeah. uh has been a problem. So do your homework that out ones, there, guys. I think,
1: <laughs> I think that one's gonna stick. I think you'll never be able to. You'll be. You'll have those. will say Mariota and then you have know, those say Mariota because I used to say Mariota for the longest time until I saw an interview with Marcus saying how the proper way to pronounce it so I think that's going to be one of those where you're always going to have somebody say Mariota, Mariota, just because they don't want to for some reason take that, that tenth of a second longer to say his name correctly
0: <laughs> no I did I did too when we first drafted him I was I said Mariota for sure for a while um but So it's I understand it a little more, but he's, you know, a premier young quarterback in the league playing the most important position there is, so you should be able to get it right. The other two, I mean, it's, it sounds like it looks. Like, it's not like it's real complicated. Yeah. Like, they yeah. look exactly how they sound. But one thing I really loved is how well we spread the ball around. We've talked all season, Tyler, about how good, how many good weapons we have, how many good players we have on this offense and now we're finally starting to see us really utilize that. And it did have something to do with health. You know, Walker has been in and out this season with, with some health issues. Murray's fought through. And, you know, we lost Corey Davis for a good chunk of the season. But now everybody's healthy and we're getting everybody involved. At least six, or sorry, six people had at least one rush attempt. Eight people had at least one target in this game, in the passing game. You know, that's moving the ball around excellent. That's, that is getting everybody touches. Taewon Taylor had a couple really good plays in the first half of this game. Um, Adoree Jackson continues to be a great weapon. And this is the thing. I don't know, uh, Tyler, but I think we're owed some money. But I, I can't figure out if we can prove it or not. Because last week on the episode where we didn't air – me and Tyler talked about the one thing they need to keep doing is keep using Dory Jackson, and not just using him, but also lining it up so you have fakes, so you you get the defense to move one way and you send them the other way. And then we saw them do that a lot in this game. So I don't know what Mike doing, but I think he might have tapped into my laptop and stole that episode and stole our ideas. Tyler, we have to we'll have to give him a call and figure that out. But uh, no, but I mean it's it's a smart move, obviously, and it's working out really well. Adore getting in the mix, taiwan Taylor, you know, obviously Corey Davis saw some a lot of targets and got some plays. Delaney Walker was our security blanket when we needed him. Getting everybody involved, uh, it, it worked out really well for us in this game.
1: Yeah, and you know, a lot of that is is overall is directly related to you know, it's been bad up until this point, yes, but it's play calling. You know, they're they're putting in some you know some niches and, and whatnot um to make it work you know it's as if terry robisky smelled the corporate axe being warmed up you know they were they were decept- <laughs> deceptive and they came at the Bengals from multiple angles um you know really opened it wide open in the first half you know they had the Bengals reeling you know had we not had a couple stalls could have put us up over 21 the biggest the biggest surprise is how well they used Ajax, just because, you know, they only used them one time last week, and, you know, as much as we wanted it, we didn't know if they'd do it. It goes back to, like what we were saying, what we were discussing about the Ravens game, they gave you the lollipop. Well, this week they gave you the whole damn candy jar. Uh, they rushed him, <laughs> like, at the one time for 20 yards last week, and then this week he was in on several formations, like you said, either where he was rushing or he was a decoy. And, you know, I, I really like the option threat to Adore. Um, You know, you could just see the fear in the Bengals every time Adoree was in the lineup.
0: You bring up a good point, too, you know, that putting all this on film. I, I think that was a big reason for why we did it, not just because of the effectiveness, but because we have a tough opponent coming up next week that we wanted to put a lot on film. So when they go back, they're like, well, shit, how are we going to cover all of this? You know, it puts a lot, especially because, you know, they still run a Dick LeBeau defense. Like, Pittsburgh doesn't have Dick LeBeau, but everybody they have on that defense is a Dick LeBeau disciple. They still run Dick LeBeau's defense. So I think, you know, they ask LeBeau, you know, like, what do we do? And he's just like, throw everything at them. Everything in the kitchen sink. Throw it all at them. Don't let them see one thing that they can tee off on, make them see everything and make them choose what they're going to play up on and what they're not going to have time to cover. Um, and, you know, it, I think it's going to work out well for us. The one play I wanted to really bring up, you know, we were talking about this option in a Dory Jackson. That play that Marcus had the big scramble, first you see the read option with Murray. Marcus keeps it, and then instead of, like, a triple option, it was, like, a read option with, like, an RPO screen, he... Starts to run outside and then when you see Pac Man trying to decide where he's gonna play, and he's the pivotal player in that uh, in the, you know, the second option there, the RPO option, to throw to a Dory or keep it and run, Marcus was like two steps past the line of scrimmage when he faked pump faked to a Dory and he still got Pac Man Jones, who is a very good defensive player, to bite on it, which opened up a huge hole and Marcus takes off down the field. I mean it was He was well past the line of scrimmage when that pump fake happened and still got on the bite and got down the field. I thought that was a pretty neat play, not something you've seen very much of at all. You know, you might have seen that in college a time or two, but I've never seen anything like that in pro football. It was a really cool play. I like the way that that was drawn up. It was worked perfection, and it really allows Marcus to do something he does, I think, better than anybody in football, and that's play that point guard. He gets guys to, to fake he gets so many guys to, to fake off that little pump or that little move because they know you make one mistake and he's by you. So people play tight in that position. You know, you just you can't help it. You're gonna play tight when you know that there's a guy that can make you look like a fool coming at you. And and even though he was passed on a scrimmage by like a two and a half yards, that pump fake was enough to make a very good, you know, former Pro Bowl level defensive back to bite down on Adoree Jackson, which opened up a massive hole, and, and, you know, I believe it was a 28-yard gain or something like that. It was a big play for us.
1: You know, Pac-Man's a veteran. You know, he's seen a lot of stuff. And, you know, if you're able to get a veteran out of his awareness of, okay, he's not going to throw it anyway because he's over the line of scrimmage, if you can make him forget about where the line of scrimmage is, you know, Trying to key in on one of two players, you know, then your offense is really doing something. Then your play call is really doing something because you're isolating key players from their surroundings. And you know, you if you do that well, you'll always have success in an offense.
0: Yeah, we saw the the same play later in the game where Marcus did throw it to a Dory, and a Dory made a plus play on it. I mean, it was a good play and another good gain. You know, another decent pickup. It wasn't as big of a play as the first one, but it was still a solid pickup. It's a neat play because it spreads out the defense. Most people, you know, are going to follow um, DeMarco Murray because they want to stop the running game. You know, they everybody knows that's going to be a key to beating us is stopping the running game. So everybody tees off on that. Then you just you have that defensive back, and, uh, you know, you can play him like a fiddle because Marcus does it better than anybody else. I mean, you look at his tapes from Oregon – There's nobody that I think that runs that option, the read option or the triple option or RPO options better than Marcus does. And they're stealing a little bit uh, and, and innovating. It's not just stealing. It's stealing and innovating on Oregon's playbook to throw in some of these wrinkles. But, I mean, both times we ran it, we, you know, ran it two different ways with the pass and with the keep. Both times it worked, you know, great for us. And we never even saw the option where they do hand it you know, to Murray in this game, or at least I didn't uh, recall it. But, yeah, it a great play, really neat play calling. The next one is something I've said the past couple of weeks, but I'm going to continue to say it because tackling at the point of attack has been a weakness for us for most of the early part of the season. The last handful of games we've been outstanding at tackling at the point of attack. They tried to come after us with a short passing game, and that was not working for them. You know, Croft, Tyler Croft in this game, who was – you know, their backup for Tyler Eifert. He got a couple passes and had, like, almost nothing. I mean, inches for yards after the catch because we hit him at the point of attack. We didn't let the running backs. You know, Giovanni Bernard is a guy that can be dangerous and uh, run or yards after the catch. Uh, you know, he's been doing it his whole career. That's basically what he's there for. We stopped him every time he got the ball outside of one. that I remember, you know, we were really good at meeting players at the point of contact. Now, there's a couple that you can throw out there. There was the first down to Bernard where we missed a tackle. Obviously, the play with A.J. Green. But for the most part, tackling is vastly improved over what it was at the beginning of the season. And a lot of it has to do with some key players. Um, you know, most notably Wesley Woodyard. Uh, Bayard has been playing outstanding. Uh, but, and, and I want to mention Jayon Brown in that list, too, because that tackle that forced them to use their last timeout. It doesn't seem like much, but it was a huge play. To force them to use their last time out, he made the tackle right at the sideline. Big play by Jayon Brown. Everybody's been tackling uh, relatively well. It's not just those guys. Those guys deserve a lot of credit, but it's been a a whole team effort of coming up and making the play.
1: Right. And, um, you know, fundamentally sound football. You know, and they may preach that all the way down to, you know, the first time you're able to pick up the football. You know, you do the fundamentals right, you're going to be in a good spot to win. You know, talent, you know, can be trumped by, you know, those who stick to the fundamentals and do them well. Talent can be trumped by that very easily. Um and ac- according to, uh, false, uh, focus, PFF, um, we only have one missed tackle that, that, well, that they're counting. Um, and you know, they're, they're usually a reliable source in, you know, ratings and whatnot. They said we only had one missed tackle, you know, and, you know, it was we one that we paid a price for dearly, you know, in the, in the 70 yard touchdown by AJ Green. But, you know, we very well could have, you know, given up many more of those if, if we weren't fundamentally sound in tackling, you know considering our offense, you know, stalled continuously in the second half. Um, you know, this time it's the second half as opposed to the first half, but, and you know, the defense, they, they wrapped up, they stopped short, you know, and and, and they trucked guys to the ground, you know, limiting yards after the catch and most notably contact, you know, that's especially key when you're trying to remain a top run defense. Um, you know, we're truly a much better tackling team than last year. Um, and you know, when you're going up against guys like Levian Bell and Antonio Brown, that's, that's what you're, you need to be because Levian Bell, he's, he's the BTK king. That, that's what I call him because he's break at, break the tackle king. And Antonio Brown, you know, you give him half an inch to spin with his, plant foot you know he, he's gone
0: yeah and, and to, for proof of this you have to look no further than their first drive the very first drive of the game it was a three and out and in that three and out you saw a great open field tackle by LaShawn Sams followed by a great open field tackle by Doherty Jackson that stalled the you know those plays were plays that we were giving up for first downs earlier this mm-hmm. season that was a three and out because of great open field tackles by two cornerbacks you know probably you know, on your defense, where your weakest tacklers are going to be is that corner. We had two young corners, too, that came up and made big plays. Uh, that stalled out their first drive. And we did it all game long. It's just that was one that really stuck out to me early in the game. Two young corners coming up and making the tackles. And if they're doing it, then you can pretty well damn bet like everybody's doing it. Uh, moving on to the next one here, the things uh, really...
1: Can, can I really – Can I add to that? Yeah, yeah, go this, ahead, go ahead. Okay, secondary. Um, that that can also be tied into uh, overall secondary. Um, you know, overall, you know, people talk about the Broncos and you know the the Chiefs and the Cardinals of you know last year and, and previous. You know, talking about being no fly zone. You know, we're, we're just a few mis- miscommunication error corrections from being a perennial no fly zone. Logan Ryan, he's always make a play on the ball and, and you know something else I noticed, he, he's also starting to get targeted more, which, which, you know what that says to me? That, that says that teams are afraid to throw Ajax in terms of comparison to week one, week two. AJ, Ajax pulled down the highest performance with an 84 by PSS. Um, he was just a shade under one of the, uh, the highest rated player in the Cincinnati game was the right tackle for Cincinnati. He had an 87. So an 84 is extremely well for especially a rookie cornerback. So he was rated an 84 by PFF. He was targeted eight times. He only allowed four completions for less than 30 yards. Um, you know, and then his offensive production, you know, stands still for its own. Um, you know, it seems this secondary is becoming a definite threat.
0: I agree with you. We're we're a Von Miller away. We're we're an elite pass rusher yeah. away from being um, a top tier defense. I, I really think you're right there. And you looked at Adoree uh, Jackson didn't spend a lot of time covering uh, AJ Green in this game, but he did for a while early on have a few, and he did give up. Uh, if my notes are correct, which I'm pretty sure they are, it was a nine yard catch. On AJ Green, but also had an incompletion thrown his way, and a couple where they couldn't get the ball in because Adoree Jackson was covering him well. Logan mm-hmm. Ryan played the most part on him, and Logan Ryan did, you know, get beat for the big play. But besides that, he was containing him. He wasn't really winning the battle. I think still AJ Green won the battle if you take that play away. But he was containing AJ Green, which look, there's like probably right now zero corners in the league, maybe one or two, that are going to shut down A.J. Green, that are going to win the battle with A.J. Green. I'm not expecting Logan Ryan to win the battle when we play A.J. Green and Antonio Brown, but I do expect him to contain them. I think that's a realistic yeah. expectation, and I think he did that outside of the one play, obviously. But uh, and,
1: You know, in, in today's game, these top three wide receivers, they're going to beat corners. I don't care if what corner you are, if you I don't care who you are, you're gonna get beat from play to play. So it, you know, it's it's a give and take. But to be able to shadow him enough to where we can force three and outs and whatnot, you know, that works best. And it would work even better if we had the edge rushers that could constantly get at the quarterback. But that's a whole separate thing. So
0: right, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing we're going to have to get uh, in the draft or in free agency. We're going to have to get a guy that can really come after the quarterback. And if we do yeah. that, uh, you know, you get a guy that's a, like an elite-level edge rusher uh, on that defensive line. And then you have you know, Casey Klug in and out. And I don't know. I'm not huge on Sylvester Williams either. But I think Austin Johnson's maturing into that role. If he can, can continue to mature, mm. you know what you're getting with Jarrell Casey. You're going to have a great backup in Carl Klug. And then you get an elite guy to play on the opposite side of Casey. And then you have Arakpo and Morgan behind that. We're one piece away from having a nice pass rush. And if we have a nice pass rush, we have everything else. This is an elite-level run defense right now. I mean, you look at the numbers. They back it up. I think we're like top three or yeah. top four in every statistical category for – run defense uh you know the passing defense is is pretty well our secondary is really stepping up cyprian by the way speaking of tackles we forgot to mention that that one play that he had lafell if cyprian doesn't make that tackle that's another touchdown yeah and and he made a great touchdown saving tackle in the open field with a bad angle too and still able to make the tackle but uh the, the other thing that i wanted to add that i liked in this game was Demarco Murray really seemed to be back? Um, he didn't have like a blow blow you away type of game. He was still in like the three, I believe it was three uh, something yards per carry, but he had seventy two total yards, three total touchdowns, and you saw in the last couple of weeks it seems like he pulls up when he was about to meet defenders. We weren't seeing him run hard. We saw him run hard in this game, and, and point proven, you know the the touchdown that won the football game. We were talking about it before. Uh, Tyler, and me and you had uh, the same reaction. He throws the ball into the flats with three men in front of him. And me and you are both like, mother fuck, like shit, why'd you throw that pass, Mario? Like there's so many guys in yeah. front of him. Uh, yeah. Makes the first guy missed, pushes through the second guy, stretches out and gets a touchdown before the third guy could really get there. What, and what an effort play by DeMarco Murray. And if you think about it, we stopped there. That's third and goal. If they stop us there it's fourth and goal and we have no timeouts clocks running. Yeah. With thirty six seconds you know, then, left.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you know, that like what Jim Wyatt said, that begs the question what would have Mike Mulorthy have done? Would he have taken a tie or would he've done what he did to Kansas City and, you know, go for the win? But you know, the Marco Murray, to be able to expand his run product you know, his yard production you know, right now, it's it's not hot at all. You know, he's not going to hit a 1,000 yards. You know, he'd be lucky to hit 800. Um, but in order for him to expand, you know, to 100-yard games again, it's going to take the passing game. And I said it last week, and, and you agreed with me, it, it's going to take teams feeling enough threat from the passing game To get out of the box and they it's true it's they're they are trying to todd Gurley and stack the box and saying okay we're going to put everybody up here throw it we dare you and it's going to come from consistency on our part you know drop stopping drops and it's going to come from misdirection you know we're going to need misdirection we're going to need the dory jackson we're going to need You know, Johnny Smith on the backdoor screen. We're going to need Eric Decker. You know, we're going to need all the pieces to free open Derek and DeMarco because that's the reason they're not doing good. Because like I said, they are Todd gurley us and daring us to throw. And our problem is we try to get too cute with it at times, and we forget, hey, they're still all in the box. You know, we try to run to the outside. Oh, well, we'll just shift to the left and, you know, two, three yards lost. So the run game is going to be opened by the pass and what's his name from A to D Sports, Zach. He constantly says that you do the opposite and it is so wrong. <laughs> I've never heard anything wrong before in my life because if if we're week ten. We're week ten. If we're we have hit a hundred yard game twice and both of them we should have been under a hundred yards. It was a it was a Seven-yard run in both games that put us over a hundred-yard run, a hundred-yard game. So, if, if your offensive production in terms of running is getting run over, you have to go to the air because obviously teams are saying we do so. So, I think a lot of Demarco's success and yardage is going to come from us opening the path but I think he he's always going to be that passing reliable back, which I think in turn he does have over Derek, which I do think is a key component in why he's still starting over Derek, no matter whether he has a fractured knee or, you know, a busted forehead, whatever he has, as long as he has breath, as long as he, he wants to be out there.
0: No, yeah, I mean, you're right. Um, He was a real competitor in this game. It was a a big uplift for us. Uh, And it's look, we proved in this game we don't need just those two backs to win a football game. And we should have won this by a lot more than we did. And still, wouldn't have included more production out of uh, our two running backs. Like you think of the plays that we missed on. It was uh, Matthews could have caught that ball for a touchdown. That doesn't help out the running backs. And Corey Davis scoring on that play. Or at least keeping the ball so we can punch it, and that might help the running backs out with what one yard a touchdown. But still, the production level wasn't—it wasn't, wasn't going to add to them. We proved that we can win without those two backs uh, having spectacular games. That's—I mean—that's huge. That's we go back. We go back to moving the ball around, and that we did a, a fantastic job of that uh, throughout this game. is moving the ball around, getting everybody involved. Uh, but let's move on to the AFC South recap here. Let's start with Indianapolis, who almost pulled off the upset over Pittsburgh, the team we're about to play. Twenty to seventeen was the final score there, as Pittsburgh did come back and kick the late field goal and win that game. There's a lot of games lately that have made uh, Pittsburgh look not as good as their record implies. You know, they're at seven and two right now on a four game winning streak, but during that four game winning streak their margin of victory is only seven, just over seven points. And that's in large part to do with one big win over Cincinnati. But besides that, they're all within a touchdown between teams that, you know, the Chiefs are a good football team, so you can't, you you know, credit where credit's due, that was a good win. But the other two games, you know, you're talking about uh, Indianapolis uh, being one of them and um, the in Detroit, uh, they had a really close game yeah. with Detroit as well. Um, And, you know, Detroit's been playing 500 football, you know, right thereabouts. But they're not, you know, a fantastic team. They're not a really good football team right now. Almost no defense. They rely on Matt Stafford coming back in the fourth quarter, as we saw them struggle and come back in the fourth quarter against Cleveland this week. So in this game, I saw... You know, there's definitely some some spots, some holes in this team, definitely some areas where that I think Tennessee can take advantage of. And, obviously, this drops Indy uh, to 3-7 and seven on the season. And, you know, obviously they're looking like the basement of the AFC South.
1: Pittsburgh, you know, I remember at the beginning of the year, and, you
0: know, even when, when the schedule
1: released, you know, everybody was like, oh, we finally got to finally got to crack Steelers again. And you know, they, they're just not, you know, the, the stealers of the past, you know, where Ben was on target, throwing, you know, 30, 30 touchdowns a year beyond, you know, he's beyond that, um, limiting his, his picks. Um, no, he's been the exact opposite, you know, um, you know, Big Ben, he's, he's definitely not a performing quarterback anymore. He, he's, getting used to need to count for him. But you know the biggest evidence that he that nobody trusts him anymore is just look at the number of his drops on Yahoo's fantasy league. I mean, he is sitting on the waiver wire on a lot of fantasy football leagues, you know deep fantasy football leagues too he you know he he lost a step you know well, name your cliche he he lost a step. You know, his health affecting his performance. He's growing into a fatter Ryan Fitzpatrick. As for Andy, Brissett's proven to be a pretty pretty decent backup. He's not been terrible. You know, he's been everything that they traded for him to be. The problem is the pieces around him. You know, he has no line. He has one receiver. He has a whole thing running back. But, I mean, you know, who's? In terms of speed and threat and all that, who's afraid of Frank Gore from that aspect? So,
0: you're you're right about Brissett. He has been playing really well. Also, he's tied for first with. Uh, most passes of 60 yards or longer in the NFL right now, tied with Alex Smith, and he's the first Indianapolis quarterback to have six of them in a year since Johnny Unitas. If you consider the talent that has played in Indy, like Peyton Manning, like Andrew Luck, pretty impressive. He just doesn't excel in the short game, but he can fire out a long ball, uh, which has been the only reason that they've been keeping uh, Indy N football games like this one, like last week. Uh, but moving on, Jacksonville, hosted the L.A. Chargers, and the L.A. Chargers surprised everyone. They choked again. Uh, went into overtime. Uh, Jacksonville got an interception that set up a easy field goal to win, 20-17. to Jacksonville has shown, though, that if you stop Fournette, you have a good shot of beating them. Fournette had 17 carries for 33 yards. That's a 1.9 average. Uh, sorry, Los Angeles showed again. They had another shot to win a football game late. I told you before this show started, Tyler, this should be a 6-3 and three football team, but they're 3-6 and six because they don't finish off games at the end. And they always make mistakes at the end of football games to lose. They lost too early in the season thanks to field goals missed or blocked. You know, there's been a constant issue for this Chargers team.
1: They've shown repeatedly that, you know, this team is, is, is better than its record. You know, the Chargers are better than their record shows. You know, they have a much better defense than their record shows. Like Denver, they have a better defense than their record shows. But, you know, it goes back to the Jacksonville, it's it's no secret. They're one thing on offense, and it's Fournette. You know, when you lend a Fournette, you put the ball in Blake Bortles' hands. and, And even the Jags FO have said that they do not want to put the ball in Bortles' hands. So, I mean, even if you only have a half-assed secondary, you know, you're going to force Bortles to throw picks and incompletions.
0: Yeah, you're right there. And uh, I forgot to mention, Indianapolis goes into a bye this week. Their next game is against us. Uh, You know, that game coming up in Week 12. Jacksonville's next game is going to be against the Browns. It'll be interesting to see. You know, Browns have a good rush defense, Uh, one of the best in the league. So we'll see how that works out for Jacksonville. Hopefully an upset It would be nice. Uh, Houston though, moving forward, played the Rams, uh, ended up losing 33 to 7. Houston came out strong, actually led this game for a while. It didn't take long for that to change. Uh, Rams end up getting the big win.
1: They're getting to be pointless to talk about because you know, they're getting to the point where they might actually have to sign Colin Kaepernick just out of spirit, you know, save the franchise, but they'd end up pissing off the franchise I believe too, but
0: yeah, it has been a long time uh, since the Rams have been in the playoffs. Uh, and it looks like they're going to go back this year, but Jack or Houston, sorry. Next week we'll play the Cardinals. You know they dropped to three and six now. Not looking good for them uh, this season without Deshaun Watson. But moving on to the mailbag, uh, before we jump into this Pittsburgh preview, a lot of people ask this question: What does the playoff picture look for Tennessee? So here's where it stands right now. Obviously, we're leading the division. At 6-3 with the tiebreaker over the Jaguars are also 6-3. and And we're two games up on everybody in the wild card outside of the Buffalo Bills right now. So even if we were to fall behind a little bit, we do have some cushion between us and them. If we get a win this week against Pittsburgh, that puts us above Pittsburgh in the rankings, which would force us above Kansas City because of the win. Uh, And Pittsburgh would still be over Kansas City. So we'd be the second-best team in the AFC, behind the, the the Patriots, of course. That would be big for us, but also we need to keep winning. The Jaguars have an easy schedule. Now they have Seattle is, like, the only team that on paper should beat the Jaguars. Now, I know any given Sunday, anything can happen, but on paper, Seattle's the only team that's going to be able to really give them a run for their money. They have, like, the Browns, the Cardinals... The Houston Texans, the Colts, and us, like, that's it. Like, there's, there's not a lot of good teams left But besides us and uh, Seattle. So Tennessee's got to be uh, winning football games. The positive for us, though, is after we play the Pittsburgh Steelers, we have a good stretch of playing pretty weak football teams. Like I said earlier with the Colts, after we play the Steelers, we play the Colts, then we have Houston at home, and then we go on the road to play the Cardinals and the 49ers, which should be should be easy wins for us. Uh, and then we host a very good Rams team before we host the Jaguars. So we need to be winning football games if we want to win the division. If we don't win the division, though, there's still a very good chance that we would be in the wild card. So right now the playoff picture looks really good for the Titans. It's a very tough race. We have the toughest race in football right now for first place in the division between us and Jacksonville. We we need to be winning these football games. Uh, if we win this one against Pittsburgh, then, you know, then we're looking at Jacksonville has one tough game. We have to one tough game before we play each other. So that definitely puts us in the driver's seat, uh, so to speak. So definitely a, a tight window right now. But yeah. still, even if we don't win the division, like I said, looking really good for us in the wild card.
1: You know, everybody says we yeah, gotta take it week to week. Yeah, obviously, but you know, every week you're gonna have your favorites to win. And, and, you know, Tennessee's an underdog this week, but, you know, basically every week after that, they're going to be a favorite. So you can kind of make, you know, sort of predictions on how it's gonna go just based off of that. If we can win, okay, we'll have three really tough games. We'll have we'll have uh, the Rams, we'll have the Steelers this week, and then we'll have the Jaguars at the end of the year. If we can win two of those three, there's no way that we can't get in on, on the wild card. You know, we could even lock the wild card up probably in week 16.
0: But that is it for the mailbag. You can find the mailbag on our Twitter and Facebook page at TTU Podcast. And I've heard some people say they've had trouble finding it on Facebook. Make sure that you're following us on our Facebook. We have a new Facebook page uh, at Two-Tone Uncensored or at TTU Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. Make sure you're following the right page so you can uh, see this information and ask your questions. Alright, without further ado, let's jump Tyler into this Tennessee Pittsburgh matchup, the Thursday night game, which by the way I will be at you know, my older brother, diehard Steelers fan, so I'm going with him, so hopefully we come out with a win so I can just make him eat all that trash that I'm gonna throw his way if we win this football game. But we head to Pittsburgh. They're seven and two. Both of these teams are on four game winning streaks. And this is also kind of interesting. I was looking up you know, stuff with Pittsburgh today, and I realized this, Tyler, and four games, they have one game that was kind of a blowout and three really close ones, and so did we. That's the exact same thing that we did. Their one blowout was against Cincinnati, who we struggled to get a win against this week. Our one blowout was against the Colts, who they struggled to beat this week. (laughs) So kind of, you know, weird, just stranger in fiction that everything mirrors up, but Anyways, focusing on the actual game at hand, looking at our offense versus their defense. Two big things we got to look at. Mike Mitchell got injured in this last game. It appears he will play. Uh, Their safety, Mitchell, will play in this game against the Tennessee Titans. Aditi Kinkawala from the NFL Network tweeted that Mitchell should be a go. Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk came out and said that the injury that he sustained earlier this season against the Lions was not an Achilles injury, as was previously stated. It was a grade one strain of the soleus muscle, which is about the same area of the Achilles. But he's been playing with that for a few weeks, and this was a related injury to that. And they really were worried about swelling. It wasn't that he was he was unfit to play. It was it was the swelling with that injury. So it looks like he will be a go, but still. And if he go, you know, if the swelling starts in that Titans game, especially on a short week, you know, you have to get healthy quick. Uh, It could be a guy that we see come out. If he does come out, Robert Golden is his replacement. He only has 10 starts over the last six years in the NFL. And then the big one, Joe Hayden, will not play in this game. Fractured Fibula uh, will not play. According to the depth chart. Now, they could switch things up. Obviously, they could. We could see... Uh, a handful of different guys, but according to their depth chart, Cody Sensabaugh is the next man up uh, for Joe Hayden. This obviously plays into our favor.
1: Obviously, I mean, I mean, the only thing it could be worse than that would be that Tyler Patman guy. But I'll take Co- no. You know what? What would be worse would be Parrish Cox. <laughs> but I'll take Cody Sanzibar any day. I'll take um, any of
0: those, like that era of guys. Bleary yeah, Wilson, I'll take yeah. A- Antonio Blake or whatever his first name is this week. Yeah. Uh, I'll take him, Valentino, yeah. Or whatever.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and as far as Mitchell and you know, any player, you know, not just from the Pittsburgh side, you know, from Tennessee side as well. We just played Sunday, and, you know, you have an extremely short week. You know, you're talking, in terms of practices, less than three days because I'm sure, you know, both teams are going to want a day off of rest and whatnot, and, you know, so realistically, you're talking two, maybe a full day of practice. And also, in recovery time, that's also... A good three days. That's going to affect, you know, in Quentin Spain. Highly doubt we see him. You know, Delaney, Jonu was in a lot of plays but last couple of weeks, and it's it's related to Delaney's injury. You know, I I don't I didn't see a setback in Delaney's injury, but I think two three days to heal isn't going to be enough. You know, to get him full ready to go.
0: Here's a quick update on those injuries. Mike Mitchell was limited in practice on Tuesday. Joe Hayden is still going to be out for this game. As for Quentin Spain, Delaney Walker, and Marcus Mariota, all were full goes on practice on Tuesday. So looking good for the Titans, looking questionable for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. you know, There's been a lot of players that are not happy with uh, the Thursday night game as a whole because of that reasoning. You know, but that's a story for another day. When I look at our passing game, obviously these injuries will help us out here. I think that what we should do is play matchups. If you look at their defense uh, well, against the pass, has actually been pretty good. Uh, Six point five yards per attempt. That's the fourth best in the NFL. They have given up eight touchdowns and eight interceptions, 29 sacks, which is tied for second best in the NFL. I mean, that's pretty good. They've been getting after the quarterback very well. Their one liability is in the secondary, and now they're going to be weaker there with Joe Hayden not going to be playing. Uh, obviously a big loss for them because they're going to have to use sense of ball. They also have William Gay back there. But we were talking about this earlier. We have a lot of size. <laughs> over the guys that they're going to be starting. Artie Burns, obviously, is the starter. Uh, I'm sure we'll see a lot of gay and sensible in this game. But they give up a lot of size when you consider they're going to be covering six foot three Eric Decker, and six foot three Corey Davis on the outside. They, I mean, that's a lot of sizes they're going to be giving up. So that's something I'm going to be looking for, especially in the red zone, floating those balls up there and letting those guys climb the ladder and go get them. But I, I think the game plan for most of the passing – is play matchups. And I don't think it's going to be a big issue for Marcus to do. I expect the play calling uh, to lead Marcus to that. Play those matchups. Look who's on who. Artie Burns is obviously the best guy that they have at corner. Everybody else that they're going to play at corner is going to be a liability. And use that to your advantage. Target them. Go after them. And then obviously, like we've been saying the last couple of weeks, and like the Titans did in this last game, pass to set up the run. You know, that's going to be a key in this game. Get the passing game going to open up running lanes because this isn't a bad rush defense. They're not guy. – they're middle of the road. You know, they give up 4.2 yards per carry, which is 23rd, 102.7 yards per game, which is 12th, and six rushing touchdowns, which is 12th in the league. So middle of the road rush defense, but uh, they have a guy in the middle there in Ryan Chassier that can make plays in the running game. We want to open up those lanes – and stay away from Shazier in the running game and the passing game. Use the pass to set up the run, and then play matchups. Get the ball away from the few key players that they have out there, and you know really work those guys that should not be starters in the NFL and wouldn't be without injuries. But target those guys.
1: Yeah, the key for me on their defense has to be Ryan Shazier because he he's a unique linebacker. You know, coming come from a Buckeye fan, I watched him at Ohio State. You know, he was one guy I thought we had a shot at drafting at some point. I just didn't think he was going to go that high. You know, I wanted him but wasn't desperate for him. He's got a, a rare combination of elite speed and just overall power and nose for the ball. He he's the guy you're going to have to be able to block. Like you called out, they get a lot of sacks. And, you know, I think the way we're going to need to approach this game on the defense, like you said, exploit matchups and also approach it like the Denver game last year. You know, they had Vaughn Miller and DeMarcus Ware and the obvious sack machine, but... We kept running the ball at them, and we limited their possibilities. Now, this year, you can take it up a notch because it was basically straight line running last year and side-to-side and side running. This year, you have, like, five dimensions of running that you can use. And I think a Dory is going to have to play another big role, same as what we said last week, whether it's a decoy or whether it's running or whether it's an option. You know, instill that fear that they can't just crash to the line. You know, they have to watch the sides. They have to watch down the field. Make sure they realize they can't just load the box because, you know, there's going to be something else waiting for them. I think our X factor would have to be our offensive line. Without our offensive line, we don't move. And we showed that in the third quarter. Against the Bengals, Schlanky's got to step up. You know, I know he's a, he's a good run blocker, but he needs to be that pass blocker until Spain gets back. So yeah. the offensive line keying on Xavier, their outside linebackers, their D line. That that's going to be key. And if they can free things, open up on the front. You know, when Marcus goes past, I think like you said, we can exploit. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate to have to exploit an injury, but, you know, this is football, next man up. If our offensive line holds, they can give Marcus time, and Marcus has proved when he has time, you know, he can throw a football onto a
0: dime. This front seven is what makes that pass attack so good, is they're, they're confident and capable in their secondary, but that's not the strength of this team. The strength of this team on defense is that front 7 uh, and their ability to come after a passer. So definitely something that we need to step up and and you know not let them get sacks in this game. So if Schwenke is going to get the start it's going to put a lot of pressure on him. Uh, for the X factor in this on offense, I have Adoree Jackson as my X factor on offense. You guys you just brought up in plays where we had him on the field where they either we used him or faked him we got a lot of yardage. We got a lot of yardage out of those plays. I, I think that we need to continue to exploit that. Keep getting him on the field, even if it's just for a fake, uh, you know just when you put him on the field, defenses have to pay attention. When you fake the ball to him, they're going to overload to that side. It's going to keep working like that because of how dangerous he is in the open field with the ball in his hands. Uh, you know he's going to continue to be a weapon. I expect him to be uh, a big part of our game plan. They got to see a little bit of it in that game against Cincy, but I think we're going to throw even more wrinkles at them. I expect Robiski to plan uh, his game plan a lot around Adoree Jackson and what he can do on offense. Who do you have as your X-Factor?
1: I would say as a whole, the offensive line, but as a single player, I'd have to go with you and say Adoree uh, Jackson because he commands attention, like you said. I don't think we had more positive yard plays than when he was in the lineup because he dictates that not just everybody on that side but everybody on okay if he's on the left side of the field and the cornerback on the right side even has to pay attention because you don't know when you have to get and go because the door is fast so like if you're the right corner you don't know if you have to get and go right away or if you need to wait, you know, so it confuses you off your man a bit. And I think what would be ingenious genius, I don't know if they will do it, but would be that run-pass option with some kind of a blocking setup to where you end up backdooring Corey Davis. The Fasano backdoor touchdown catch that we saw all the time, something like that but going the opposite way with Corey Davis. I, I'd like to see that. I just don't think it'll happen. But it's that kind of attention that he's going to draw that will lead to bang plays down the field and moving the sticks, because we used to have, with, with Chris Johnson, Thunder and Lightning, it was smash and dash, and now Adoree Jackson would be our version of dash.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, expect him to be a big part of the game plan, and I'm excited to see what they do with him this week. On the other side of the football, our defense versus their offense, Pittsburgh's rush defense isn't as good as it might seem. Le'Veon Bell is the leading rusher right now, but it's only because he like, out-carries everybody. He has 29 more carries than Ezekiel Elliott does, and Ezekiel is the second most in football. He, he's leading everybody. He's only rushing for 3.8 yards per carry, which is his worst total since his rookie year. They're 26th in yards per carry. They're 20th in rushing touchdowns. That's going to be a big factor for us is shutting down this running game, which I think we should be able to do. This offensive line is a little banged up. Uh, our defensive line has been responded to the run. Our linebackers have been very good at stopping the run, And you know, not just this year but for a couple years. They, they've been very good at teeing off against the running game we really want to force the ball into the big Ben's hands which you know a couple years ago might have seemed insane to try to do but this year is obvious that's the game plan Ben Roethlisberger right now 12 touchdowns 10 interceptions 61.1 completion percentage which makes him the 26th quarterback in the league and we got to force him to beat us he hasn't been playing good this year a lot of off throws. The rhythm's not there. His body's not what it used to be. He's taken a lot of damage, especially the last couple of years.
1: I think the, the running game of um, Pittsburgh, you know, the effect that it's having on them negatively, I think it's coming from a two-way street. The quarterback is screwing the running back, and the running back screwing the quarterback. Because I think last year, what they got away with was, you know, even though Bell had that timeout, they were able to relieve, like like any team that has, that's starting to have a quarterback go awry, get old, whatever, you need a good running game to complement them to where they're not constantly being forced to be egg hey, Brady, and I, they don't have that this year. Le'Veon Bell is not getting, you know, nearly the impact that he's had, and it's screwing
0: Ben yeah I agree with you we need to be able to shut down this run force them to pass and that's how we're going to win this game they're still going to they're still going to try to run this is a team that needs to run the football so they're still going to try to run but if we tee off on it that's going to be a lot of three and outs a lot of short series that's what we need to be able to do we also need to be able to get after Big Ben in this game you know, he's still a competent quarterback. Just because he's aging, just because he's not as good as he once was, doesn't mean he's not the same intelligence-wise, which he is, absolutely. We need to come after him. We need to I get him to the ground, and, and we need to really attack uh, heavy on this running game, shut it down, which I think we should be able to do.
1: And another thing that can only help our defense is our offense. If, if anything, we'd like to get touchdowns every single drive, but get points out of every drive and and go on long drives if you can keep your defense off the field on a consistent basis you will get stops you will get sacks you will get turnovers now if your defense is on the field constantly you're going to surrender points you know it's the law of average you know you could make 12 stops but if you're on the field 15 times you know, that's three touchdowns right there. You have to be able to counterbalance it with offensive production. So the best thing that can help our defense is our offense.
0: Absolutely. And another key point to add to that is we need to finish off drives and, you know, not have these instances where we come off the field with no points when we should have points. You can get away with that against Cincinnati, against the Colts, you know, against a lot of these teams we're about to play, these uh, NFC West teams that we have. We can get away with not capping off a few drives and still win those games. We're not going to be able to do that against Pittsburgh. We're not going to be able to do that against the Rams. We're not going to be able to do that against the Jaguars. We can't have stupid mistakes like that taking points off the board for us. We need to be able to score and put points on the board.
1: My uh, my X factor versus for our defense versus their offense would probably have to be I would say Kevin Byard By I'm gonna say By <laughs> since apparently that's how we spell his name. No, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go with somebody different because we know how good Byard is. I'm gonna say Wesley Woodyard because he's always in on tackle, he's making pass deflection, you know, when he's asked to blitz, he's boom, right there in the face mask of a quarterback, forcing an intentional grounding or just getting the outright sack. So I'd say he's the X-factor because he's going to have to be the commander you know, in, the, in defending defending Le'Veon Bell and then also getting after Ben and dropping in coverage.
0: I had Wesley Woodyard as my X-factor in this too. Uh, getting after Le'Veon Bell, not letting him you know, set weight in that hesitation style of running that he has, waiting for the hole and going, it's going to be up to him to get pressure. But another big guy that's going to be – Key in this and stopping this attack is also uh, Jarrell Casey is not letting him get those yeah. hesitations, shake those interior linemen, and get in there and get guys down. So I'm looking for uh, you know Austin Johnson, Sylvester Williams, uh, Jarrell Casey, Carl Klug, those guys to get in there and not let Le'Veon Bell have the time to hesitate and find the hole. Get after him and push him back, force him into a different style of running that he's not as comfortable doing.
1: Yeah. And, you know, see Levium, he he's a creature of habit and he's what's worse about it is he's a patient creature of habit. So, I mean, you could see him on a dead stop and he waits for his blocks to develop. So it's gonna be key for our defensive linemen to not only hold their block you know, hold their blocks, but also use the blocks to, you know, sort of pinch in on Bell so that way that patience ends up being his downfall
0: absolutely I 100% agree I, I think that this is a very winnable game for Tennessee I think our the way that we match up with them on our defense versus their offense I think is going to be huge I, I think we match up with them very well in that situation on the other side of the ball our offense versus their defense I think we have the ability to move the ball against defense like this this is not going to be a great defense i think that we played a better defense last week i think we've played a few defenses that are better than this that we've scored points on so i'm not really that what i think in my opinion i think this is either going to be a close game like cincinnati because we didn't cap off when we should have but still winnable even if it's close but we could lose if we don't finish off when we need to or i think tennessee has the ability to blow this team out of the water.
1: We we have all the tools. We have all the players. For the most part, we're healthy. You know, aside from a piece on the O line, uh, Delaney's hurt, but the man, did he show that it it doesn't affect him. Demarco with a three touchdown performance. You know, you can guarantee his doesn't affect him. So for the most part, we are healthy. You know, we've got the scheme. We have our secondary is coming into it like we said earlier a no fly zone. We have. I would call us the best run defense in in the league. I don't know what the numbers are, but um, I would call us the best run defense in the league. We just need to remain consistent on offense with the O-line play and the play calling. That's that's what it's been all year. It's never really been a defensive problem except for Houston, but that there's an asterisk beside Houston. So It all comes down to O-line play and play calling. We have, remember last year how we just absolutely slaughtered the Jaguars on Thursday night football? We have the potential to do that, except for this year, not let the Jaguars score, like, 15 points in garbage time. So we have the potential to beat this team, like, 42 to 14. Now, I think it's going to be a little less. I think it's going to be Titans 28, Steelers 21.
0: I have it a little, a little tighter, but uh, around the same score in mine. I have it as uh, Tennessee 27, Pittsburgh 24. I think it is going to be a tighter football game just because we haven't shown one. I haven't seen from Tennessee the ability to keep the score up. When we get up big, we like to let teams get back in the game. That's not something we can afford to do against a team like this. Uh, and then, two, the other reason being we we have had these dumb moves, dumb decisions and stuff like that that have caused us not to cap off drives, just like last week we saw when we definitely should be capping off drives. Uh, we had some, some mental mistakes that led us to not do that. That's something that, you know, we have to improve upon, but this defense might, you know, be able to take advantage of that. So I think it's going to be a closer game. I'm hoping – for a blowout. I'm, I'm hoping I'm up there in Pittsburgh just talking shit to everybody around me. Uh, and and if you are going to that Pittsburgh game, I hope to see you there. I hope we see a lot of, of two-tone blue up in the stands in Heinz Field. But, you know, it's it's going to come down to capping off drives, minimizing mistakes, and, and, and playing good football. Just like any game is, we have to be able to do those things better than we have done them so far this season. Um, but that's about all the show we have for you. You can, uh, find us here each and every week. We release on Wednesdays and you can find the show at ttupodcast.com. You can find the Facebook page at ttupodcast and the Twitter page at ttupodcast. Thanks a lot, Tyler, for coming on the show, man. It was awesome having you back on.
1: No problem. Everybody needs to tighten the fuck up and tune in to the Titans. Watch them. Stomp the terrible towel into the ground again
0: on Thursday. Yeah, man, on prime time again. Let's get Mr. Monday Night out there and uh, and help one of these guys. Maybe Woodyard it comes up, has a break. It could be Mr. Thursday Night. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks again to Tyler. Thanks all of you. Great fans. If you're going to the game, I hope to hear you. I hope to see you. And let's kick some Steeler ass. Let's take second place in AFC and let's keep us winning streak alive. Tighten up. Tighten up. Man, if Woodyard gets like three picks, I'm going to look like a fucking genius.